You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. My name is Jen and today we are joined by a very special guest. Um, We're joined by Catherine Esker. She is a clinical psychologist and she is joining us from Pennsylvania, right? That's right, Jen. (laughs) Great. So why don't you take over and tell us who you are, what you do, how, why, and all of that. (laughs) I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a clinical psychologist. I actually um, did a dual degree. It was an integrated degree in um, clinical psychology, my doctorate, and then also a master's in business administration. So I, um, since high school, thought I was going to go into and ended up going into um, organizational consulting and leadership development. Um, and so that my, ref- my degrees reflect that I-, I loved it. I did it after graduation, after finishing my doctorate and it was great, but it wasn't necessarily the lifestyle. I loved the work, but it wasn't the lifestyle that I was, I was hoping for or wanting for myself. And by lifestyle, I mean, you know, a lot of long hours, lots of travel, not home very much. Um, and so it, you know, it didn't really fit what I envisioned, you know, the life that I wanted for myself or my family. This was prior to having kids. And so, you know, with the support of my husband, I decided to go back, leave the consulting field and go back and do a residency or a postdoc in clinical psychology. So that would allow me to get licensed as a licensed psychologist and provide therapy and outpatient services. And so that was a big career shift for me, but I'm, I'm really glad I did it because it allows me to, um, you know, continue to help people and do the work I love while also having a bit of a better work-life balance. Um, so after my postdoc, my husband and I moved back, we were in, um, Jacksonville, Florida for that period of our time. And prior to that, we were in Philadelphia. And so we, we lived in some urban areas for uh, together for about 10 years. And we decided to move back to my really rural hometown in Pennsylvania um, for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, because you know I was pregnant with our, my first son at the time, and I wanted to be closer to family for that support. And secondly, because growing up in my, in my area in central Pennsylvania, I knew that there were not a lot of mental health providers, but there was a huge need for outpatient therapy services. So I knew that moving back, it would be, it would be, I would be able to work a private practice and it wouldn't be hard to find people who were looking for services. But, you know, moreover, I was really thrilled about being able to give back to my community, the community that gave me so much in life that I was able to go back and serve them. So uh, we moved back in 2017. I have been working out of a primary care office, um, providing outpatient psychotherapy services to you know anyone looking for them in my community. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's um, just me in my office. Uh, I work with a lot of other uh, primary care providers, but no other psychologists. And it is um, you know it's it's tough to meet the demand of what people are looking for. At one point, my wait list was six months long, and mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, but you know that's how I ended up back in clinical psych. Um, 
Um, and in the middle of the pandemic, I was grateful for a lot of things. One, for having <laughs> a stable job. Two, for being close to family as daycare shut down. Um, and three, I started the Teletherapist Network, which um, was really created out of my own need because I was, you know, uh, feeling really professionally isolated at the time. I had really great colleagues in primary care, the physicians and the nurses, um, and I had a really great stable client base, but I didn't have any, many other, you know, private practitioner uh, therapists to consult with on what this whole, you know, switching to teletherapy was like for them, kind of that social support I was missing. So I created the Teletherapist Network as a way for, you know, vetted, licensed uh, therapists to come together and support each other, you know, not just clinically, but also socially um, to support all areas of our lives. Uh, kind of like what um, I missed about doing my postdoc. I was in a college counseling center. I really loved having the colleagues down the hall who not only knew a lot about my caseload, but also knew a lot about my personal life. And we could, you know, catch up and support each other on so many different levels that was missing in private practice. So the teletherapist network aims to fill those gaps that other professional organizations kind of leave us with. That's amazing. I love that. Both of those things, like the moving back to Pennsylvania and serving a community and also creating the teletherapist network. Like those two things are just so awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I it's, love them both. Thank you. It's, it's something that I look back at and I never in a million years thought I'd see myself one back in my hometown and two doing clinical work. So it's something that I think some of us, I think it's hard for people to be flexible when you have a, a career goal. It, it's kind of hard to let go of that sometimes. It, mm -hmm. it feels like a loss at times when you let go of something that you've wanted for so long, right? So being flexible has allowed me to end up here and it's, it's working out. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. So I, I think we'll break it up into the first part with like the work that you do and then the yeah. teletherapist network for, for clinicians and all of that. So sure. the first thing I wanted to say, I mean, this is a question we get a lot is what if people don't have access to this type of like to yeah. therapy or to these kinds yeah. of things? Like what are some options for people? I know that every state is different and every country is different, yeah. but what could you say about that? Yeah. So I think that my answer a year ago would be dramatically different than my answer today. And that's because telehealth and teletherapy has allowed us to, it has broken down the, the geographical barriers of getting uh, quality outpatient therapy services. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, the market was saturated. There were so many outpatient private practice therapists. It was very hard to build um, a, a thriving private practice there. Um, and that differs from where I'm at now, where there's it's 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 not hard at all because everyone's looking for therapists. Um, there aren't enough to go around. So I would say, you know, in order to, if you're having trouble finding a therapist, um, there are a couple routes you can take. One is first, I want you to reframe that idea that your therapist should come from your immediate community or, you know, within a geographic location and think about it within the state or the country that you're residing in or province, you know, licensing laws differ. Right. So, but you can think about um, looking for therapists well outside of your drivable distance that you're willing to drive on a weekly basis. Right. So I would really recommend. So for instance, I can just take my, my example in Pennsylvania, like 
if people in my area are struggling to find someone, I would recommend looking to the major cities, look for tele, look for quality therapists who meet your need that are, that are doing telehealth services in the major cities or well outside of your zone. Because now that we're all, we've all had to offer telehealth and many of us are going to continue to offer it as at least part of our practice moving forward there, it expands your circle of where you can look. Um, so kind of reframing that idea you know, typing in your town and therapist after it, maybe you type in your, your state or your country or province, right. And look for therapists that way. Um, you know, secondly, I also recommend that people, um, our employers, if you happen to be employed and not self-employed or unemployed, our employers offer a really, a lot of them offer really great resources in terms of mental health or other services. Your employer might offer you an employee assistance program, which is an EAP for short. Um, and you could talk to your HR provider about whether they have an EHP for you. And a lot of times they do, but it's not talked about a lot. And that might include, often EAPs do include, you know, a limited number of therapy sessions, maybe five to eight therapy sessions completely free of charge. So that's a really great option that I think goes underutilized is the EAP programs for larger companies. And also going through your health insurance is another great way to get a list. They're not going to give you a, a personalized list about what you're looking for exactly but they can provide you if you call your insurance and ask them for a list of providers, they can provide you with all the providers in the state that accept your insurance. And that's going to make it a lot more affordable to go ahead and seek, seek out therapy treatments, um, you know, for the cost of a copay, as opposed to the cost of a full session. And if you are not, you know, if you don't have great health and health insurance coverage or health coverage at all, or, you know, you don't have the EAP option, definitely reach out to your, your dream therapist that you find looking, looking within your, 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 your region or your state, um, and ask them if they accept sliding scale. Um, a lot of therapists do, um, part of a lot of our ethical codes are to give back to our community and to underserved populations. Mm -hmm. And so even if it's not advertised on their website, you can certainly contact them, ask them if they offer, you know, explain your situation and ask, ask them if they offer a sliding scale, which is reduced, um, therapy reduce session cost for people who uh, are in need. Um, and so, it, you know, it's not talked a lot about because a lot of times, you know, we therapists are nervous about that being taken advantage of, but if you're truly in need, definitely ask, ask those therapists that you find online and are, are, um, are, you really want to work with them and explain, you really want to work with them and this is why. And, um, will, would they be willing to offer a reduced cost? Yeah, no, that was all really, really great advice. And I guess the next question would be, why is it important for people to understand what they're looking for in a, in a, in a therapist and like why licensing matters and why <sighs> matter? Like, how can they go about uh, understanding that? I don't think people even know the difference between a therapist and a counselor or yeah. uh, you know, a lot of the time. So what are some things that you could say to, about that? Well, so anyone you go to through your insurance or through EAP is going to be licensed to provide psychotherapy services. So that means that that professional went through not only undergraduate college, but also a graduate degree, whether it be a two-year uh, master's degree or a four to six years doctorate degree. And so that's really ensuring that these professionals have the training, the expertise, and along with those degrees and licensure also comes supervised experience. They didn't just read the textbook and go out and practice. They read the textbook and then had people watching over their shoulder for years to make sure they're practicing well, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want a surgeon to read the textbook and then go cut 
cut you open. You'd want to make sure that they were supervised for a little bit to make sure that other surgeons say, no, yes, you're doing this correctly. So that's what having a licensed therapist or counselor. Now there's a number of different degrees. We were just talking on the teletherapist network last night, actually, during one of our live consultations about how each, so coming from the U.S., since I'm U.S.-based and most familiar with licensing in the U.S., um, each state in the U.S. has different titles or, or, or degrees or licensing titles for, uh, you know, counseling degrees who are licensed to practice therapy, therapist degrees who are licensed to practice therapy, psychologists who are licensed. They, we, they all call it differently. But what you want to know and what you want to make sure you get is their state license if you're looking for a provider within the U.S. And when they give you your state license, you can actually hop onto your state website and verify that if you really want to double check. But if they have a state license to practice therapy, they're going to easily and readily give that to you. It's not an uncommon question. Um, it's just kind of that extra layer. And with that state license come um, practicing laws and quality control that you're not going to get um, elsewhere in unregulated fields like life coaching or other types of coaching. Not saying they're not helpful, but they are unregulated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're looking for very um, specific psychotherapy services like anxiety reduction or um, improvement in mood or depression or uh, OCD or, or anything like that, you're going to want to seek out a licensed therapist. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. I think that's really helpful as well. And uh, and now I wanted to shift to the underserved community portion. And we talked about yeah. this on air as well. Um, I guess I'm not really sure how to ask this question, but <laughs> I'll start with this one <laughs> because I feel like that's not the question I want to ask, but it's a question I want to ask. So, okay. Um, so, so what does it mean to have an underserved community and how does it typically happen? Like, how does it come about or why? Wow. That is a really good question. And not one I've been asked. Mm-hmm. So... Okay. I don't necessarily have the most concrete answer, but I'm going to give you my perspective. Um, an underserved population there. Um, there's actually a formula. I don't know it off the top of my head, but, um, there's, there's a formula about number of po- like the, the population to number of providers ratio. And when it falls under a certain amount, it is considered an underserved population. And the reason that exists is because if, if, if you, um, there are in the U S sometimes student loan forgiveness programs, where if you work in an underserved in a, in a, in a like registered or, or identified underserved population at a, um, at an identified organization in that underserved population that meets this formula criteria, there are some student loan forgiveness programs. So that's the technical term, but really what I see underserved populations are when the, the need exceeds the demand or the demand exceeds the available services. So the need is there, but no one's there to fulfill that need. Um, so that could look very different in different or a different population. So for instance, in a, in an urban city, perhaps there's a dime a dozen therapists, but, but no one's serving the, um, the LGBTQ community, right? So that could be an underserved population in an urban area that has a lot of therapists, but that subpopulation is not getting their needs met. So it really is kind of a find you know, using a fine tooth comb to, to understand what the needs are for, for all populations in a community, not just the therapist to uh, population ratio. That being said, um, the second half was how does it happen? I, I, I can speak to my own experience. Um, and at least in the community I'm at, there aren't a lot of, uh, 
how do I say this draws to living to pulls to living to this area, right? So uh, urban areas tend to attract, you know, a lot of higher ed institutions, and a lot of large companies, and perhaps families are drawn there or or partners are drawn there because of of jobs, right in the economic climate. Now, my area, we the major employers are two large hospital systems and two um, higher education, two universities, right? And so unless you are in the university setting or in the medical setting, there isn't a lot of pull bringing highly educated folks to this area, right? So if you graduate with a master's degree, um, unless you're going into private practice, there isn't really a job pulling you here, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there are very few for ha- perhaps, you know, university counseling or the few psychologist positions at the hospital systems. There isn't large pull here. And then when you put it on top of the fact that the mental health field is largely female, then you have to put it on top of if, if that female has a partner, um, that partner then um, also needs to find a job wherever their part, if they're choosing to live together, their partner ends up. And so, you know, say, I really want to move back here. Well, it wasn't my job limiting me moving back to this area. It was, it was my husband's job. He needed to find something that supported his specific career and what he loves to do. Right. And so that was the difficult part. And so if you, you not only, you know, have a partner, but have a partner who doesn't work in higher education in the medical field, it's going to be hard, very hard to find a, a high level uh, growth opportunity position in a company in this area. So I think in my area, it's specific to, um, you know, opportunities, polls to the area. Um, and both of the higher education institutions here do not have master's programs in counseling therapy or any doctoral programs in psychology. So therefore the community doesn't have that new fresh set of eyes coming out and wanting to stick around and treat and, and, and provide psychotherapy services. Yeah. So in the, in the saturated areas that I lived in, the th- saturated areas for therapists, there were multiple uh, higher education institutions um, that were graduating dozens, if not hundreds of master's or doctoral level clinicians every single year. And so, of course, some of those people stuck around in that area. And that's how that market became, you know, well-equipped to meet the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. That was a really good answer, actually. (laughs) Thanks. Again, that's just speaking from my experience. I don't know how it looks and I haven't really given it much greater thought. Um, Perhaps that's something I I should explore personally as well. So thanks for that question, Jen. I was, no, I was just curious, honestly. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, And with that, I mean, I I know that a lot of people are talking about like whether or not therapy is really important or what you can do on your own instead, or if you can treat anxiety on your own or depression and this and that. Um, what would your answer to be about? What would your answer be about that? Um, whether or not therapy can actually help you, and <laughs> if it's important to speak, and uh, and also yeah. you also speaking to the fact that you don't have to wait until there's something diagnosable or diagnosed. Absolutely. What's Absolutely. your take on that? Yeah. So again, I work out of a primary care office or organization. And I I compare therapy and mental health to physical health a lot because we all, at least we all should know and hopefully know, you know, what it's like to have a common cold, Mm -hmm. right? You might not seek, go to your, go to your doctor, your physical health doctor for a common cold, but maybe the common cold lasts three weeks and you're getting a little 
you're like, oh, this is not normal. This isn't just a normal common cold. I'm going to call my primary care doctor and have them check me out to make sure, you know, I'm, it's not anything worse or I don't need extra interventions or medications. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the same thing with, you know, everyday anxiety, because anxiety is a part of life. It's actually, we all know it's adaptive in some aspects. Like if you face a bear in the woods, you should be anxious, right? (laughs) So, you know, you're not going to go see a therapist for every small anxiety, but maybe the worry or the, you know, down mood for depression lasts a little bit longer than you're used to, or it lasts too long for it to be able to function properly. Just like if the common cold, you're missing a lot of work, maybe, you know, hopefully you're thinking about going to see the doctor to see if you should get on some medications or have some type of other treatment, right? So it's the same thing with mental health. Of course, you can make improvements and I encourage you to make diet and exercise and healthy lifestyle choices and social support improvements in order to support that mental health. But if it's lasting too long or if the impacts are too great to your functioning in terms of social or academic or work functioning, then definitely, definitely look to to check in with a therapist, get their perspective, just like you would with a physical doctor to get their perspective, their expertise, their knowledge on if this is a common cold and how to treat it. If this is an anxiety disorder, how do we treat it? Right. Mm -hmm. So I make that parallel a lot. Um, That's a really And like you said, you don't necessarily need a diagnosis to go seek out treatment for mental health or seek out mental health support, just like you have, should be having, (laughs) I'm kind of the worst one at this, but should be having an annual physical or an annual checkup exam or routine blood work done with your primary care doctor. You know, it it can't hurt to check in with your, your therapist or your psychologist to see, you know, if there's a particularly stressing thing you're going through, check in. Um, see if there's additional support that you can get um, just to make sure everything's going okay. Absolutely. That was a beautiful um, comparison. Actually, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> that so much sense. No, no, it's true. Um, I really like that. And in terms of, I mean, you already answered the question about how they can find this. So I'm, I'm going to just move on to the clinical research, the clinician resources with the teletherapist. Yeah. So for that, I, I love what you talk about and what you write about when it comes to the teletherapist network and how it supports therapists. Um, can you talk a little bit more about those things, like the consultations and the um, and what you guys do in and all that? Yeah, yeah. So you know, the best quality control for therapists, like no one's looking over our shoulder and, and watching our sessions anymore after we get licensed. Um, is to actually seek out people and their feedback. So the best quality control is peer consultation. And so what I noticed in our field is a lot of us go off into private practice and we don't have peer consultation groups. And that's actually quite scary to me. So, cause we're practicing without knowing what we don't know. We're practicing without knowing what we do wrong or knowing how to be better. So the teletherapist network offers a wide variety of different supports for therapists. Um, first and foremost, it being created out of the need for social support. They need for connection with people who know what we're going through or have similar experiences and can celebrate the wins with us. Um, and so it's, it's a really great small private vetted group of clinicians who like I individually check all of our licenses to make sure we are who we say we are. 
we are not like a Facebook group. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we really support each other on the professional and personal level. Um, we celebrate our wins together as a group. It's very, it's, it's very refreshing to have that, to be a part of some, you know, an abundance mindset group. It's really mm-hmm. great. Um, and with that, we also, part of the professional support is have weekly live consultations. So uh, every week we have at least one, sometimes more, sometimes two um, live consultations where for an hour members can join and support each other and um, learning more about our clinical uh, clinical concerns or asking our clinical questions in a really safe space because, you know, asking, asking for help can be very vulnerable, especially when it comes to our clinical services. So it's really the, the, the group in itself is really about trust and continuity and quality. Mm-hmm. So we have the clinical consultations and then we have mastermind or excuse me, masterclasses as well, which are, we invite experts into our group and they teach us their knowledge, which is really awesome. Um, a lot of the master classes are based on clinical interventions or clinical new clinical findings in the field to keep us fresh. And then a lot of them are also based on business building practices. So we've had an attorney join us, a CPA, um, marketer for therapists, and that just kind of helps bridge the gap between our clinical knowledge and what we aren't, what we don't know, um, and what we aren't getting in graduate school about running a private practice. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it kind of the whole premise of the Teletherapist Network is to support our to, to support clinicians in all areas of their life with social support, clinical growth, business growth. Um, and help us level up and just be, be happier, be healthier, um, so that we can serve, serve our clients better ultimately. Wow. I don't even think there needs to be another place for therapists. Honestly, that sounds like, <laughs> no, you're so sweet. sounds like it does everything. Where else <laughs> That's would you- the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> Remember, I came, I'm like, I am so, I tell people this, I'm a member first and founder second. Like I, I get the most benefit from the group and, you know, I'm just creating what I needed in my life. And, you know, it, it turns out other people needed it too. Yeah. Cause you, you did it recently, right? You started it recently. Yeah. July, July of last year. Oh, yep. That's incredible. And so well, you've been doing so far. I can see, I mean, from what I can Thank see. You. Thanks, Jen. That's amazing. And for anyone who's thinking, I mean, so actually, again, two questions. The first thing, and I didn't want to forget to ask this, what kind of, from where are you getting your therapist? Can anybody join? How does that work? Great question. We are, yeah, great question. We are international, but you do have to have a license to practice therapy where you are located. So that means, you know, when you apply to, you have to apply to join us. It's not like a, um, a free for all. Um, and before you get accepted, I go and I actually verify your license. Um, and we do offer student memberships for a discounted rate. And with that, you have to use an EDU email and provide a reference that I can check up on to make sure you are an active student. Um, so it is really high touch. Um, again, this is kind of, you know, I really, it's really about trust in this group. And so when we accept a new member, we really need to trust that they are who they say they are and that they are going to be in it with us in the journey of supporting each other together. 
So totally international. You definitely have to have to have license to practice where you're located. Um, and other than that, I mean, that's really the requirements. A lot of us already have full private practices, myself included. And so we help others who, who are building their private practice, build theirs um, with referrals or resources. And, um, you know, some of us are even not in private practice. You don't necessarily have to be a therapist in private practice to join us. A lot of us just feel alone at work and want that, you know, going to telehealth or uh, practicing in a in an organization that doesn't give you that social support or clinical growth. Um, a lot of people joined us for that, that level of connection, even though they're not in private practice, or maybe they're thinking about private practice in the future. So definitely not a requirement to be in private practice. Um, but really, it's just about being a licensed clinician who's willing to learn and be supportive of each other um, in a trusting environment. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that was actually going to be my next question is, do you accept student? Yeah. Yes. Was- yes, we do. Perfect. Just You're always have to verify before they come out. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, no, that's wonderful. So I'll put all those links in there. And you're, you're accepting uh, new members, right? We are. We are. If you are interested in joining, just go to teletherapistnetwork.com. You can read all about everything we have going on. We actually just launched a book club, a monthly book club. So go online, check out our book club and our consultations and you can apply to join right there. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I'm yes, so Jen. About this. this was so fun. I was really waiting for this conversation. Oh, good. I'm so sorry so it took so long. I've been no, looking forward no. to it as well. Not at all. I'm very excited. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.